Those are meaning answers to a fact question. Or when asked the second question about meaning, people sometimes answer by saying, what happened? What's the resurrection mean? Well, it means that God raised Jesus from the dead. But that's a fact answer to a meaning question. Imagine I came home from a trip, maybe a 10-day mission trip, and I find a car-sized hole in our garage door, and I ask my wife what happened. And she answers, well, we're getting a new garage door. That would be giving a meaning answer to a fact question. Uh, Imagine I came home, same scenario, find a new garage door already there, and I ask, what's the meaning of the new garage door? And she says, for some reason, GM puts the accelerator on the right and the brake on the left. I don't get that. That would be a fact answer to a meaning question. By the way, my wife's a good driver. I don't think she's ever had an accident, except with a deer once, and it was the deer's fault. It was not her fault. When it comes to the resurrection, both kinds of questions are important. I intend to spend less time on the first question, the fact question, and more time on the second one, the meaning question. Nevertheless, we have to start with the fact question. And we have to start with the fact question because the facts have been called into question. In our day, people claim that science has proved that the resurrection, and for that matter, every other biblical miracle, could not have happened. Well, Science proves nothing of the sort. That is not even a scientific claim. It's a philosophical one, and a premature one at that, and I think a presumptuous one. People who begin with the assumption that Jesus was not and could not have been raised from the dead are forced to find alternate explanations for why the tomb was empty and why the disciples were convinced that they had seen, talked to, and touched a living Jesus. They were so convinced, in fact, that they refused to deny what they'd seen in spite of beatings, excommunication, and for some even death. So those two things, why is the tomb empty? Why do the disciples swear that they have been with Jesus, talked with him, eaten with him, seen him? One of the most common non-miraculous explanations for what happened on the first Easter is that the disciples found the death of Jesus too psychologically painful to bear. And so they couldn't face the fact that Jesus, on whom they had staked their reputations and their hopes, was dead, so they opted for an alternate reality. And besides that, his personality was so powerful that they sometimes felt as if he were still among them. It's like they could almost hear his voice. And from time to time, they saw people who looked like him, moved like him, had his mannerisms. It was as if he were still with them. And as they talked about those things, they came to feel that he had never really left them, that he had been with them all the time in spirit, that he was alive. That idea has been very popular over the years. But it fails on so many counts that we needn't really spend much time with it. But I'll mention a couple of things. First, it might account for the disciples' explanation of the empty tomb. But it doesn't explain the personal meetings they claim to have had with Jesus. First one, then another met him. Then the apostles talked with him as a group. Then hundreds of people saw him. They claim not only to see him from a distance, but to converse with him to walk with him, to dine with him. They wrote down the things that he said while they were together. That was not one man claiming to see Bigfoot from 200 yards away and finding out later that it was just Looper walking down the road. (laughs) 
These were dozens of people who on a variety of occasions claimed to see him, touch him, talk to him, listen to him, even share meals with him. Now, are we to suppose that all these people were so detached from reality that they convinced themselves that they had conversed and shared a meal with a dead man and remained convinced of that for decades, even though sticking to their belief caused them rejection, ostracism, persecution, and sometimes death. It just doesn't hold water. And besides that, the whole argument depends on the idea that the disciples wanted so badly to believe that Jesus was resurrected that they took leave of their senses. But the fact is, the disciples weren't hoping for resurrection at all. The idea hadn't even entered their minds. That's why they never used the word resurrection in the gospel stories. For the disciples and their fellow Jews, resurrection was something that wouldn't happen until the day of judgment when everyone who ever died was raised to life. It never occurred to them that it could happen to Jesus before it happened to everyone else. Even when they were convinced that Jesus had returned to life, it still didn't dawn on them to call it resurrection. That idea just didn't fit into their theology at all. And I'll say one more thing about that, and then I'll move on. That idea, that view, is based on the idea that the desire to believe that Jesus was alive was so strong that it led the disciples into a kind of group psychosis. But what about the people who didn't want to believe? What about Thomas, who refused to believe and told his friends they were crazy? What about the Pharisee Saul, who violently opposed the Jesus movement and yet saw Jesus risen? What about James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in him until after that first Easter? None of them were trying to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and yet they did believe it, almost in spite of themselves. See, the most logically consistent explanation of what happened on that Sunday morning is that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what the disciples claim. That's what the apostle Paul came to believe. It's what the church taught. But what happened is only the first of those two great questions hanging over Easter. The second question is, what does it mean? What does it mean? God raised Jesus from the dead. So what? That happened a long time ago, almost 2,000 years ago, and it hasn't happened to anyone since. So what difference does it make, and why should I care? We'll know why we should care once we understand what the resurrection means. But first, let me mention what it does not mean, because people are confused on this point. The resurrection does not mean that people continue to live on in some form after they die. Now, I believe that's true. But so did the vast majority of both Jews and non-Jews long before Jesus was on earth. If life after death had been the good news that the disciples proclaimed, people would have yawned. That wasn't news. Everybody already believed that. Then what did the early disciples think that this all meant? And the truth is that at first they didn't know what it meant. And the Gospels are very honest about that. The, and, and they could have covered that up. They could have changed that narrative so it looked more convincing. But in the beginning, the early Christians didn't know what to think. One assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen by grave robbers. 
Another claimed that Jesus was alive, but others got angry when he said that and said, I'll never believe it. And, and several others believed that they had seen a ghost. It took time and it took instruction from Jesus himself for the confusion to clear and the disciples to understand what this means. Now, I'll mention four things. There are many more than that, but I'm going to mention four things this morning that the disciples, after time and instruction, came to believe the resurrection means. First, the resurrection of Jesus meant something about Jesus himself, his identity, that the disciples hadn't previously understood, or at least not fully. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead meant he was Israel's promised Messiah, the one the prophets were talking about, the one the prophet wrote about in Psalm 16 when he said, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. After what happened on that first Easter morning, the disciples realized that's about Jesus. And they realized that about many other passages from the Old Testament. After 40 days of searching the scriptures, of talking with each other, and especially after hearing Jesus himself, they came to a much clearer picture of what had happened and what it meant. So on the day of Pentecost, 40 days after the resurrection, Peter first explained what happened. God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. And then at the climax of his speech, he told his hearers what it meant. This is what it means. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The resurrection meant that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. And it means more than that. It means that he's Lord. Now, here's the thing. In the first century, people in the West already had a Lord. The divine Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of Augustus. Every year, the people of the empire were forced to present a sacrifice to him and make this confession. Caesar is Lord. They would go down on their knees and say, Caesar is Lord. Forty days after Jesus rose, Peter was using incendiary speech, revolutionary, really. He said, in effect, Caesar who? Jesus is Lord. Similarly, the theologian Paul says that because the divine son humbled himself and became obedient unto death, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Remember what people did to Caesar? Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Not the divine Caesar, but the divine Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul even went beyond this, writing that the resurrection means that Jesus is none other than the Son of God. Now, it took them thought and instruction and time to work through the scriptures. But he worked from the Old Testament texts like Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And he wrote that he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection means that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Lord of all the earth. Okay, that's the first thing. Next, it means that our sins have been forgiven. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, 
your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Now what possible connection, we don't usually think of this, but what possible connection is there between a dead man coming back to life and the forgiveness of sins? Isn't that like saying, we're eating chicken, it's stormed on Thursday. Well, what does a storm on Thursday have to do with eating chicken? Philosophers call that a non sequitur, which means it does not follow. How does Jesus rose on Sunday, my sins are forgiven, follow? Is that a non sequitur? No, because there is a connection, even though we might not see it at first. And there might be a connection between eating chicken because it stormed on Thursday. Maybe we were hoping to go fishing on Thursday. And because we didn't go fishing because of the storm, we had to eat fish or eat chicken today, right? But what's the connection between the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the meaning that our sins are forgiven? The connection lies in the nature of Jesus' death, which is something that the early Christians only came to understand in the light of the resurrection. At first, they thought of Jesus' death as a tragic miscarriage of justice, as it surely was. They saw it as an outrage. They saw it as an ugly example of what power always does to goodness. They thought of his death only as something that happened to Jesus. And then they remembered his words. I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. And they recalled other things Jesus said. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And during those 40 days, Jesus undoubtedly reminded them of Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The idea that Jesus' life wasn't merely taken from him by force, but that he offered it, in sacrifice, that he was indeed the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist once called him, that turned everything around for them in their minds. They began to see the Old Testament now in an entirely new light. It was about their master, which, by the way, is something that Jesus had already plainly told them. I think the Jewish Holy Day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, brought these various strands together for them. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he offered a sacrifice to take away the sins of the people. While he was in the most holy place, the worshipers would gather outside and they would wait for him to come out. He would change his glorious robes. He wore gold. He wore these beautiful colored robes. But then when he went into the Holy of Holies, he took all of those off and clothed himself in a simple white linen garment. But then when he came back out, he would redress in those clothes and come out to meet the people. And when they saw him, they were thrilled. If the high priest didn't return, they would know that their sacrifice for sins had not been accepted. But if he returned, they would celebrate 
The sacrifice had been accepted. Their sins were forgiven. The early Christians came to realize that Jesus was both sacrifice and sacrificer. Lamb and priest. That's the book of Hebrews. He did what no other priest could. He offered himself. And when God raised him to life, when he came out of the tomb, they knew that their sacrifice, his sacrifice, had been accepted and their sins forgiven. You can read about that, especially in Hebrews 9 and 10. Okay? So, the resurrection means that our sins are forgiven. Let me tell you two other things it means. But we need to remember what Jewish people in general and the biblical writers in particular thought that resurrection was. Right? Fact and meaning. What did they think it was? They thought it was the coming to life of everyone who had ever died. That's what they thought it was. What did they think it means? They thought resurrection means, this is important, the dawn of the new age. Jewish people, and to my knowledge, they were the only ones at this period of history who believed this. Jewish people divided all of earth's history into two ages. There was the present and evil age, the age of rebellion and death, and the coming age of peace, of justice, of God's reign. And the dividing wall between those two ages was resurrection. They thought that resurrection was the coming to life of everyone who ever lived and thought it meant that the present evil age had come to an end, judgment was at hand, and God would reign unopposed through his people forever. That's why when Jesus rose on that extraordinary Sunday, the disciples did not at first think of it as resurrection. I mean, how could they? Everybody knew what resurrection was. The coming to life of all the people who had died throughout the history of the world. They knew what resurrection meant, the end of the age and the day of judgment. But none of that happened when Jesus rose. It's hard for us, who've always heard what happened described as resurrection, to grasp the fact that the disciples, even after they were convinced that Jesus was alive, still had trouble thinking of that in terms of resurrection. But after being instructed by Jesus himself, those 40 days were immensely important. And guided by the Holy Spirit, the earliest followers of Jesus came to understand that the resurrection, the coming back to life of everyone who had ever lived throughout history and died, had actually begun with Jesus. But that it was happening in stages. The new age for which they had been waiting had already dawned, and the renewal of all things, Jesus' words, The renewal of all things was underway, and they were a part of it. Church Easter celebrations, and especially our hymnody, often center on the fact that people who have faith in Jesus will continue to live after they die, that the grave doesn't have the last word. And praise God for that, but most people believe that before Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that people continue to live in some form. It's ghosts, it's spirits of some kind, it's life forces. The resurrection of Jesus signified something more radical, more far-reaching than that. The man who most thoroughly explained it was the Apostle Paul, who initially rejected, I mean vehemently rejected, the idea that Jesus was resurrected. He did not believe it. 
until he saw Jesus for himself. And then that changed everything. He came in time to understand that God did not raise Jesus as some separate and unrelated event from the resurrection. You know, the coming to life of everyone who had ever died. He saw that our resurrection flows out of his. That his rising was the beginning. But it was the first stone in an avalanche. But each in his turn. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now, do you see what this means through their eyes? It means that the age to come has already invaded the present age because resurrection is the line between the ages. The renewal of all things is already underway. It means the kingdom of God is currently operating within the kingdoms of this world like a revolutionary movement, the revolutionary movement, or better, the resurrection movement. And the people who call Jesus Lord are age-to-come people in the age that's here. Resurrection people who defy and scorn the power of death. Jesus' resurrection means you don't live in the world you thought you lived in. You live in a world on the brink of overwhelming change in which God is already at work. And of all places, the church. It means the church is the most revolutionary force on earth and Christians are agents of the age to come serving their leader in the age that's here. That's what resurrection means. All right, let me review that. Jesus' resurrection means that he's the son of God, the Messiah, and the rightful Lord of all the earth. Not Tiberius Caesar, not Donald Trump, but King Jesus. It means that our sin and rebellion can be forgiven, our record cleared, and we can be granted citizenship in his kingdom. It means that the barrier between this age and the next has been breached, not torn down yet, but breached. The renewal of all things is underway, and we, Jesus people, are agents of the age to come, working in the age that's here. Now let me mention one more thing that the resurrection of Jesus means, though there are many others. The fact that Jesus is risen, the fact that the age to come has dawned and God's kingdom is active, means that we can experience God's power and authority in our lives right now. We can experience the power of the resurrection that St. Paul so desperately wanted to know. It's the power that manifested his energy in his life. Energos is the word in Greek. I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. The resurrection of Jesus is the door between the ages through which God's power flows into this age in previously unrealized ways. It's because of this that Paul can write, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. This is God's incomparably great power for us who believe. 
that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The resurrection of Jesus in the past means that the future is invading the present. The resurrection of Jesus then means a change in our lives now. Because Jesus rose, we can experience God's power in our lives. And in fact, we will experience God's power in our lives if we believe in Jesus, if we've come over to him and acknowledged him as Lord. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church services. But about the power of God at work in and among the people of Jesus. The children, as Jesus called it, called us, the children of the resurrection. That's what the resurrection means, at least in part. And that's why it matters. And that's why we celebrate. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah.